0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: The church is a family. The church is a collective unit, and we need to remember that, especially in our highly individualistic culture that we live in. We are the most individualistic people that have ever lived on the earth. We think very individualistically, and oftentimes that bleeds over into the church.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Colossians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18 in a message titled, Together for the Gospel.
1: Now here's Pastor Brian. So here we are coming to the final verses of this series through Paul's letter to the Colossians. I hope you've been encouraged by the letter. I've been encouraged preparing for it and teaching it. And so we look now at uh, the final portion of the letter beginning uh, as we read in verse 7 through the final verse, verse 18. So here at the end of this letter to the Colossians, Paul mentions 10 people who are connected to him in the ministry and in the church in Colossae. So these people are ministering with Paul, they're connected to Paul, but they also have a connection, some of them at least to the church in Colossae. Now, Paul does this at really at the end of most of his letters, not all of them, but most of them, he goes through a series of greetings to numbers of people. And I think there's a reason beyond the obvious. The obvious, of course, is he just wanted to send greetings to them. But why would the Holy Spirit have these included in the inspired text? Well, I think that in doing this, what's happening is the Lord through Paul is reminding them and us of the many ways that Christians belong to one another in fellowship, in love, in prayer, in instruction, and in service. This is something that I think we've been even really kind of emphasizing this in our recent studies, you know, how how we've looked at life in the community of God as the people of God. And then of course, we've expanded that and we've looked at the people of God in the context of marriage and family and work, the workplace. And then we looked at that also just in, in the, the larger witness to the world outside, walking in wisdom toward those that are outside, our speech always being with grace and, and so forth, praying and those things that we looked at. But it's, And I think the spirit is actually right now wanting to remind us as the people of God that that's what we are. We are the people of God. We're not to be isolated. We're not, it's not just this individual thing that I'm saved and I have a relationship with God, although that's true, but I'm part of something bigger. And what we see here with Paul in this closing portion of the letter we see that bigger picture of all the connections that Paul had. You know, Paul's a good example of somebody that we might think could have easily been sort of like a lone ranger, a guy out there on his own. He's a maverick. He's just out there charging for the Lord. He's out there planting churches and so forth. We might get that idea, sometimes about him, but when we read his letters and we see the history, we find there's nothing further from the truth. Paul was surrounded by many, many people, and he understood that these people were vital to the mission of God, and that's something that we need to understand as well. It is undesirable and ultimately impossible, says N.T. Wright, for any individual Christian or church to go it alone and to imagine they have nothing to gain or learn from other Christians and churches. So these greetings, he says, at the end of Paul's letters, serve as constant reminders to us of what the gospel is all about. It is all about God and people. God and people being brought back into a loving personal relationship and people being brought together with one another in love through Christ. You see again, the church is is a family. The church is a collective unit and we need to remember that especially in our highly individualistic culture that we live in. We are the most individualistic people that have ever lived on the earth. I'm speaking broadly of Western culture, but that is just the way we think. We think very individualistically. And oftentimes that bleeds over into the church. And we fail to realize that we need each other, just like Paul would say to the Corinthians, we need each other, just like every body part makes a contribution to the well-being of the whole body. So that's the way the body of Christ is. So, What we want to do is let's look at what Paul says about these people. Um, It's very brief, much of what he says. And yet I think we can get some good insights as we look at each of the 10 people that Paul mentions here. And I'm looking at all of this in the context of being together for the gospel. That's what I've entitled the message actually, together for the gospel. We are in this together together. And so beginning in verse seven, we have the mention of Tychicus, Tychicus, there's all different ways people suggest for pronunciation. I think for us who are just reading strictly from English, that Tychicus is probably the, the easiest way to Pronounce here. Now, Tychicus, you might, the, the name might even be a little bit familiar, and it should be because he's mentioned five times in Scripture. So, what does it say concerning him? Paul says that he is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. And, and Paul says, now remember this, Paul has not been to Colossae the idea is most people believe that what happened is Paul's ministry base was in Ephesus, which is about a hundred miles from Colossae. And what most people believe is that Epaphras who is going to turn up here as well. Epaphras was the one who received the gospel through Paul in Ephesus. He brought it back to Colossae. And so a church was established. So Paul hasn't been there, but he's got these relationships with Epaphras and others who are part of the church in Colossae. And so he says about Tychicus, he says, he's going to tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. So Paul says, I'm going to send, I can't come. In other words, but Tychicus is going to come. Now, what does Paul say about him? He says, number one, he's a beloved brother. He's a brother. There was that bond, that brotherhood bond that Tychicus had with Paul and the others. He says, secondly, that he was a faithful minister. The word here translated minister is the word diaconus, which is the word we get our word deacon from. And so, but the word means a, a servant. So he was a faithful servant. And when he says he was a fellow bond slave, that's really the better translation because it's the Greek word doulos. And that's a different word. So he's a minister in that he serves. He's just there. He's available. He does what needs to be done. But then Paul refers to him as a fellow, really bond slave in Christ. And Paul's talking here not just about the activity that uh, Tychicus is involved in that's helpful, but he's talking about the deep commitment of his life. He's given up his life. A bondservant was somebody who willingly gave up their life in service to somebody else. That's what a doulos was. And so he refers to him as not just a doulos, but Paul says a fellow doulos, because remember, that's what Paul had done as well. Paul had surrendered his entire life to another and that, other was Jesus himself. So Tychicus is the first person that Paul mentions here. And then he mentions along with Tychicus with Onesimus. Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. So he is from Colossae and they will make known to you all things which are happening here. So they're, they're gonna come and they're, they're gonna carry this letter actually. And they're gonna give the additional information about the things that are going on. Now, Onesimus, maybe you're saying, wait, I think I've heard that name before. Yes, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Onesimus. Remember, Paul says here, he's a faithful and beloved brother. Remember, Onesimus was a slave and he was a slave to Philemon, And so Philemon is in Colossae as well. And um, it could be here that Onesimus is coming back with a letter to Philemon as well. Remember the letter that we talked about where Paul said, because Onesimus was not just a slave, but he was a slave who had run away. And he had uh, encountered Paul and he had come to faith. And Paul sending him back to Philemon, he says, receive him no longer as a servant but receive him as a brother. And then Paul would say, if he owes you anything, put it to my account. And then he reminds Philemon, he says, not to mention you owe me your very life. And so here we see Onesimus, this former slave, who is now part of this group that are knit together with Paul in his ministry. Then we come to Aristarchus. And Aristarchus is mentioned five times. So Tychicus and Onesimus are from Colossae. Aristarchus is one of Paul's traveling companions. He's mentioned five times. He is a Macedonian from Thessalonica. And so, you know, we see these people that came to faith in Jesus probably through the influence of Paul. And then joined up with him as fellow ministers of the gospel. Now, what does it say regarding Aristarchus? Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you. So Aristarchus was imprisoned for the gospel as well. We're gonna come back to that at the end, but just keep that in mind. So he's Paul's companion, he labors with Paul. And when Paul is arrested, he is also arrested. So Aristarchus, a fellow prisoner, and then he mentions Mark, the cousin, or more properly, the nephew of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. So here is Mark. And the fascinating thing about Mark reappearing here is maybe you remember back in, I think it's about the 13th chapter or so of Acts. Mark is a traveling companion with Paul and Barnabas and they had gone on a missionary journey and in the midst of the journey, Mark left them. He left the work, he, for whatever reason, it never never tells us actually why he left, but he left and he went back to Jerusalem. So sometime later, Paul and Barnabas are going to go back and they're gonna revisit those churches that they established on that circuit that Mark had left them on. And so Barnabas he says, "Yes, let's go, let's visit these churches and we're going to take Mark with us." And Paul says, "No, we're not taking Mark with us. Mark left us on the first journey and, you know, I'm adding a little bit, but you know, I don't want to risk that happening again, so Mark is not going." And then we read there that the contention became so radical between Paul and Barnabas, that they separated from each other, that they went on different paths and Barnabas chose Mark and took him with them. And Paul went a different direction and he chose Silas. So we had a rift in this apostolic team, but the beautiful thing is we know from the later history and part of it right here that all of that was healed, all of that was mended. Paul and Barnabas, they mended their differences. They once again teamed up and they working together for the gospel in places like Corinth. And and so here we see Paul speaking of Mark, really interestingly, I think kind of tenderly and sensitively. So he says to them, he says, about whom you received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. So Paul writes in advance of Mark, maybe Mark was, you know, maybe he was a bit like Timothy. Maybe he was a timid sort of a person. Maybe he was easily intimidated or, or you know, maybe he had a, a little bit of fear regarding meeting new people or being in new environments or, or whatever. It seems like there's something that Paul writes in advance and, he, and it seems like he's telling them, you know, I, I want you to be sensitive to Mark. I, I wrote you about this. And so that when he comes, you welcome him. And, and the beautiful thing that we see about Mark, and of course, later he will be referred to by Peter, and he is the author of the second gospel, amazingly. Now, most people believe that Mark penned at the dictation of Peter, that gospel. So scholars think that the gospel of Mark is is the gospel of Peter. Mark is the, the one who wielded the pen. And so either way, we know the gospel as the gospel of Mark. But the point is that Mark's past failure didn't stop him from future usefulness. And that's the gospel itself. And so we see even... Uh, amongst you know these great men, these spiritual men, these godly men, Paul and, and Barnabas, they have a disagreement. It's it's such an intense disagreement that they split over it. But the gospel brings reconciliation. The gospel brings healing. Uh, Mark leaves early. He bails out. He's fearful. He's whatever. But that wasn't the end of the story. He got another chance. And you've heard this, no doubt. I've said it many times. Others have said it. Thank God that he is the God of the second chance and the third and the fourth and the fifth and, and right on down, God is merciful. And so we see that even though Mark failed at one point, he became very useful for the ministry at a later time. And so Paul refers to him there. And then he refers to this one named Jesus, who is called Justice. And so Jesus was a common name in those days. Of course, it would be Joshua or Yeshua would be the Hebrew way to say it. But as many people did, he also had an additional name and his name was Justice. Now, the thing about this one, Jesus, who is called Justice, he is completely unknown to us. There's no further references to him anywhere in scripture there are a few other justices that are mentioned but it's not the same person and so he's unknown to us in history but he's known to Paul he's known to the saints at the time and most importantly he's known to the Lord and this is something that's important to remember for all of us you know it's it's not about human recognition it's not about fame. It's not about serving in such a way that you gain all of this notoriety and so forth. I mean, sometimes in our world of the church, we can kind of get caught up in that kind of a thing where, you know, we we want to be well-known and we want to have a name and we want people to, to know what we do. And that's a trap. It's a trap that we all need to be aware of and we need to be on guard against. And we need to really watch out for. The important thing is that we're known by the Lord. (laughs) That's the important thing. And, you know, there are many Christians, many, many Christians who will labor, faithfully serve God their entire lives and will never have any earthly recognition whatsoever. Now, Jesus, who is called Justice, I mean, he got a little bit of recognition. His name's in the Bible. The problem is we just don't know who he was. But there are people, you know, here in the, the United States, of course, we have... In the church, we have celebrity churches, we have celebrity pastors, people whose names are well known, people who have, you know, tons of followers on social media, all of that sort of stuff. I mean that that's just part of our, our culture here. But you know, in India or in Africa or in some place down maybe in South America or just some, some obscure place in Siberia, there are people who are faithfully serving Christ, have served Christ who never were known outside of the small circle that they ministered, but they were known by the Lord. And one day the things that they did will be known by all when the Lord reveals that to everybody. So just a word of encouragement. If, if you're unknown, if you feel like you're unappreciated, nobody really even knows that you exist, even though you've been faithfully doing that thing at the church for a long time, don't worry about it. It's okay. Cause the Lord knows and the Lord sees. So Paul, then he goes on and he says this though, about these three people, Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, who is called justice. He says, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. So Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus called justice, What's Paul saying? They're Jews. They're fellow Jews, and so he's got this small band of brothers in this case who are Jewish, and there's a special comfort that they bring to Paul. I think it was just that connection, that nationality, that connection that they had there. Now, of course, there were many other Jews who were in Paul's life. Barnabas was a Jew. Apollos was a Jew. Quilla Priscilla they were Jews, but. Paul's talking about in this moment, at this period in time, these three are the only Jewish believers who are there ministering with Paul. And now we come to Epaphras. So Epaphras, he is mentioned three times and he's from Colossae. Look at what Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you. So speaking of the Colossians, he's one of you. He's a bondservant. In other words, he's a doulos. He's, he's one of those people who has gladly given up his rights to serve another. And he greets you. And then listen to what Paul says about him. He says, laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. So this man, Epaphras, he is also a fellow prisoner. And we'll come back to that again, as I said later. But notice what Paul says about him. He says that he labors fervently for you in prayer that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. So Epaphras is a Colossian. He's, like we said earlier, he's probably the one who was responsible for the existence of the church in Colossae. But he's with Paul. He's a fellow prisoner with Paul. Remember, Paul is writing this letter from prison. And Epaphras, his heart is for the people, for the people in Colossae. So he can't minister to them because he's restricted because of imprisonment. But what does he do? He prays for them. He labors fervently for them in prayer. And we've talked about this. We talked about this in our previous study but it just seems to keep coming up again and again. And for good reason, we need to remember the power of prayer. You know, we need to remember that what is humanly impossible is possible with God. We need to remember that when we have little strength to affect any change, that God is not limited. And we have this amazing access to him.
0: the month of May, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Basic Christianity by John Stott. What did Jesus come to do? And in what ways does that make Christianity unique? Does it matter if the claim that Jesus rose from the dead a historical fact or not? And what's wrong with believing that Jesus was simply a great teacher? In his book, Basic Christianity, John Stott answers those questions and many more that are fundamental to the Christian faith and any genuine inquiry into understanding the historical Jesus. Ever since Jesus lived, he's been largely misunderstood by both religious and secular groups alike. But understanding who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he claimed are relevant for all people regardless of their current beliefs. If you're a Christian, this book will help you to better understand the basics of the Christian faith. If you're not a Christian, this book will help you to better understand the basic beliefs of millions in our global culture. If you want to know more about the basic beliefs of the Christian faith, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Basic Christianity by John Stott. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you